Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lanier. Have you ever worried that you've made a big mistake with your life? Are you unconsciously building yourself a fur-lined mousetrap? And what if your ideal lifestyle is much cheaper than you can imagine? Dr. Eric Goodman is here to discuss his killer RV, how his physical pain became the doorway to a life of purpose, and his new book entitled True to Form. Is that a problem? If you, you hear like the birds in the background, is that an issue at all? I think I'll just make up stories about what it is. Like there's other okay, things you cool. got going on. We're in on. the jungle right now. We're, I'm, I'm speaking to you live <laughs> from the jungles of Montecito. <laughs> the jungles of Montecito. <laughs> that's, that's, that's crow for, give me more money. <laughs> I was thinking, like, what, kind, what, what, what lives in the jungles of Montecito? Uh, yes, I lost the key to my Aston. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm hiking alone in the wilderness and all I've got is six bottles of Avion. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, the troubles there. Big, big time troubles there in the jungles big of troubles. Montecito. Well, let's dive in. So, I mean, well, when you're not teaching or writing, you work with so many different types of people. They're the pro athletes. They're movie stars, everyone in between. Um, when I came out and stayed with you at your place in Carpinteria last year, there was a, a world-renowned DJ that stopped by in the morning. And then Chris. later on the day, yeah, later in the day, it was Dean Potter. The late Dean oh, Potter yeah. spent the afternoon working with you. I got to watch you do that. And so Dean's, Dean was a guy who was climbing cliffs and, and flying in wingsuits. And the, um, the DJ Chris was he was somebody who spent a lot of times indoor, a lot of time indoors uh, working on a computer. So I'm just, I'm a little baffled by this because I'm trying to figure out what these folks have in common body wise that they're coming to you. Like, what do you see that's happening that, that has you work with, you know, such a wide assortment of people? I really like, like that I had the opportunity to work with Dean. That's like still to this point, one of the most valuable brief but valuable times that I've gotten to have with a, a client. And I even, you know, I get, I'm, I, it's weird. I didn't have that. <clears throat> I didn't have like a crazy close relationship with him, but I got to be the first and only person to ever really work with him on training for anything. Like the guy was just such a, 
such a sort of like an innovator and a creative spirit that he just did his own thing. Mm -hmm. And when he got a little bit injured and he kind of felt like his energy just wasn't where he wanted it to be, he kind of lost a little bit of that zest Mm -hmm. just because he was, he wasn't feeling strong. Hmm. And I got to share foundation with him and, you know, we're actually talking on the, uh, the one year, uh, anniversary of when he passed and I got to get to know him for nearly the last year of his life. And all thanks to his, his really cool girlfriend, Jen Rapp and whisper the dog and all that. We got Mm -hmm. to spend some time with him, but before I even go into any of the similarities, like Dean was a really remarkable guy. Like I, I, you and I have talked about this a little bit. Like I felt extremely touched by him in the, in, in the handful of, uh, really cool encounters that he and I had. Yeah. So very proud of the brief but kind of deep relationship that I got to share foundation training with him and give him a real powerful, uh, you know, last eight or nine months of life where he felt stronger than he was feeling. And I'm, I'm very proud of that. Yeah. To compare cool. him with uh, Chris Lake, who is the DJ that you're talking about. Uh-huh. Chris, uh, you know, I don't know Chris well, but Chris came to me with just like back and neck problems, like, like so many do. I think he had checked out some of the free videos that I have on, on YouTube and they helped him a little bit. And he just got in touch with me like so many people do and, and came over a couple times and we just taught them the same thing. While Chris does do a lot of his work on the computer, you know, DJing has become extremely technological and he's, he is, he's a world-renowned DJ. The guy spends all of his time traveling and right. making, making music and playing a really large crowds, which is, which is rad. I mean, what a, what yeah. a cool way to go through life, yeah. but it is not a very physical way to go through life. And I was just there for a, a couple of days and I saw this and I was like, wow, it's interesting. You know, so many people are very niche oriented. They work with very specific types of people or specific types of athletes or, you know, business people or whatever. And, it, and, and here were these two very different types of guys, what they did with their bodies. But you, you worked with them very similarly. I watched you work with them. Usually a lot of the athletes and, and people that I work with, I don't know who they are. Uh, after I get to know them a little bit, you know, then I, then I kind of learn their world and you start to see like, oh, wow, this person has millions of fans. That's remarkable. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but bodies are bodies. I don't care what personality or, or endeavor comes with it. A, a human body is more or less a series of biomechanical actions that lead to movement. And whether you're a wingsuit, base jumping, slacklining rock climber or a... DJ that, you know, doesn't move your body much, but you sort of transfer energy so other people can move theirs. Mm. Biomechanics is very important. Mm -hmm. For Chris, the most important thing was stabilizing his neck as he leaned over a desk, leaned over a a turntable, leaned over a computer, whatever it was, stabilizing the muscles at the front of the neck to be able to do the job that currently the back of his neck was trying to do. And it hurts and it's painful and you get headaches and you get kind of crummy feelings. Probably had some back pain. Usually people come to me with some kind of back pain and and we just stand them up taller and make their muscles work. Hmm. If you look at who the body belongs to, you're going to have your capacity to help them skewed. Whereas if you simply, you're going to, you're going to have some form of emotional or energetic connection to this person that is going to make you feel more or less liability for their well-being than you actually should. Um, if you look at a human being and they, you look at them as the athlete that makes $5 million a year, you're going to become cautious in something you already trust yourself. Right, right. And it changes things. So you can't know what they do. You can't know who they are. And if you do, you can't pay attention to it. And I work the exact same with people like you're talking about that have notoriety, but man, I work the exact same with people that are completely unknown. And and sometimes I have the best relationships with those people too. It doesn't matter who the body belongs to. Yeah. I, you know, there's so many parallels going on here. I love that we can, you and I, our conversations are usually like this because 
I, I remember one time this guy contacted me and I didn't I didn't bother to Google him before we talked and, and we had a very powerful conversation and I challenged the shit out of him. Like I, I just was like, I don't know if I want to talk to this guy anymore. He's just kind of paying the ass and he's done you know, and I just really challenged him and at the end he was like, We have to work together. I want to do this and and I gave him a challenge and sent him on his way and, and we ended up working together, but I Googled him afterwards. He ended up being some billionaire. <laughs> and I mean, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. He was a billionaire. And I, and I, I remember like, I'll, I felt my own orientation to him shift in that moment where it does, I, it? I got precious because somehow I had elevated him because of his financial status. Um, and, and, but I was so glad to have that experience. Like, no, come back because I really helped him when I challenged him in that way, which is probably what nobody in his life does. Everybody else kisses his ass and puts him up on a pedestal. So I like that you bring that in there of just seeing people's bodies as they are instead of attaching their notoriety or their, or their thing to it. Um, and I imagine it just helps you zero in on what's happening for them and, and what really needs to, needs to shift for them to feel better. I, I'm curious, like, I've got a sense that we're, I'm gonna, I don't know if this is the right question, the way, right way to say it, but how are we moving wrong? If, if a guy that is hucking himself off of cliffs and flying through valleys and another guy that's on a computer all day are having similar types of things showing up, what are, what are we doing that, that, that could help us move better or in less pain? It has to do with lifestyle uh, and lifestyle has a lot more to do with like your hobbies than anything else. But even those hobbies tend to become centered around convenience in a sense. You know, I think the wingsuit jumping is probably the furthest end of the extreme where Dean's problems weren't primarily pain related. They were energy related, whereas most people come to me with pain problems and the biomechanical breakdown that is so similar among people is that the lower spine and the mid spine tend to absorb the vast majority of the downward force of gravity about if it's the lower spine about two inches above and if it's the mid spine about six to eight to ten inches above the spot where they should which is the pelvis the hip joint uh, this area that is really designed to absorb and maintain the the sort of relentless and and variously angled force of gravity so as your body starts to break down, it doesn't matter how fit you are. It doesn't matter at all. My old partner, Peter Park, is a great example. I love talking about him because he's still one of the best endurance athletes that I've ever met. Mm -hmm. He's in his, I think he's 50 to 51 now. Mm -hmm. um, and he's still super strong. I worked out with him just the other day and I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me, Peter. <laughs> like, <laughs> you and I, me and him are going to cross paths when I'm 45 and he's 60, you know? Yeah. And that's when we're going to be at a similar, uh, maybe, uh, God, if I work hard, that's when we'll be at a similar capacity for endurance. Right. But that breakdown doesn't have anything to do with his ability to run fast, Dean's ability to fly fast, Chris's ability to spin records, or however it's done now. Right. It has to do with sitting too often, letting your head fall forward under its own weight, and watching way too many screens that converge our vision way too brief in front of us. That little convergent, uh, almost like the eyes are crossing down in front of that little computer screen or in front of the phone or in front of the uh, iPad or whatever. It's a, it's a pattern that we're staying in longer than we ever have. And it takes our head forward and we start to almost like lean our noses forward. And that changes the muscular contractions from the base of the skull all the way down to the base of the spine, all the way down to the knees, all the way down to the ankles. I'm talking all the way down to your toes. Yeah. Nothing will fix the basic biomechanical breakdown of the spine absorbing its own weight other than teaching the spine to get stronger. Basically, as our body begins to rest on itself too much, it, it's, it's like a puppet that doesn't have the strings being pulled on. It's literally just collapsing inward on itself, resting. 
we have to make the rib cage expand. We have to make the glute muscles, the hamstring muscles, the adductor muscles. Uh, if you if you think of the femur bone, the thigh bone, think of like a ham that's cross-sectioned. All those big muscles that surround that bone, those are designed to support you and lift you and expand your torso and open up your chest and pull your chin back and pull your head back so that when you stand, you're not resting on your joints. You're being pulled through various muscle chains. It's an incredibly metabolically active posture. And it's a human posture and it's a natural human posture. And we have convenienced and comforted our way out of it. Yeah. You know, I just want to come back to something you said when you, when you started talking about the phone. Um, I remember the first day that I got an iPhone years ago when, the, when it first came out. And it was the first day I felt this pain in my neck from craning over. Right. And uh, <laughs> I remember like, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. I buy this piece of technology and now I'm in pain and uh, I, I know I'm not alone. And, and, I, and it's been a, a challenge since then. Just like, oh man, I've got to stand up, pull my chin back. I'll, everything as you just listed, I was doing all, I was, as I'm sitting here talking to you, I was, you know, erecting myself back up and, and stacking the bones again. That's just, another problem. You look at your phone too much and it gets harder and harder to erect yourself. Yeah. I, <laughs> let's talk about, <laughs> we going to, all right, you want <laughs> I know where to take I know where to take you trip. <laughs> oh man. I just your your videos, you know, how to how to do these exercises, this new book, um it, it's so critical, it's so important. I just want to point the guys to it. Just go do the work. I believe in it. You've helped me tremendously. Um I know that you're helping so many people. Um, one of the other things about you that inspires me is just how you've also built your life. So many of the guys that I talk to are these rat racers. They they have um, they just they're working their ass off, drilling themselves in the ground, like working for this someday. This thing's gonna 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 pan out, and they're gonna have this you know miraculous kind of life that they're working towards. Um, I think one of the reasons why we get get along here is I just appreciate how you've designed your life. You're still relatively young. You've become a thought leader in this field by challenging a lot of conventional wisdom. You've aligned your work and your lifestyle with your beliefs and your values. So much about your life is about playing and learning and growing and traveling. And um, and I just want to, I'm thinking about the guy that's out there listening who's waiting. He's waiting to make his mark. He's waiting to challenge the world with what he believes in. He's waiting to align his life with what he believes in. He's he's in this rat racer mode. I, just describe a typical week for you. I know you teach, you'd usually do a, a teaching somewhere every month, but just kind of give us an idea of what your life is like. Cause I, you, I called you today and you were camping. Is that right? You, you guys. Are- yeah. Well, we camp a lot and on our, we camp like, we camp like we yuppie camp, you know, I'm a, I'm a doctor. My girlfriend's a, a physical therapist. We have a, a, a lovely motor home. So our camping is not all that, uh, that thing's life, badass. It it's hard to call that camping. That thing is it's, badass. Yeah, it's not really camping. It, 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 you are <laughs> on a campsite, which is lovely. Uh, yeah, glamping is more accurate, but it is really different. And, and before I even get into the lifestyle, I want to set, I've thought about this a lot. I figured you were going to ask me something like this. And, you know, I, I, I don't take talking about this stuff lightly because I hope at least one person's listening and some of my screw ups will help them along the way a little bit. You got to understand that there is no getting out of the rat race. There's none. It's not a rat race. Human existence requires a little bit of suffering. It's part of it. There's, there, without it, you don't get better. You don't get where you want to go. So if you're just going along, not paying attention to what you want, your suffering will be in the form of entering the same group of people that aren't really paying attention to their life. That are, they're not paying attention to their occupation. They're not paying attention to the value of every minute of every day of their existence. So their rat race is running amok among those 
other people, which is wonderful people. It's just they focused on different things than what made them most happy occupationally or with their time. Mm -hmm. So they spend most of their time trying to figure out how to find happiness among that challenge, you know, within a job they don't like, within a, uh, as, as a very intelligent man that I used to know named Alan Miles put it, a fur-lined mousetrap. Some of them are extremely comfortable, but it's comfortable within sort of their own barriers, their right. own boundaries within that fur-lined mousetrap. My rat race, a lot of people like me, when, and I'm not unique in any way, like there's a lot of people like this, I assure you. Your rat race is sort of run like among the ruminations in your head that don't stop. There's always something to understand. There's always something that like, you, you, you sort of, or I, I shouldn't say you, I respond to discomfort with uh, a, a necessity to move, a necessity to change the situation, to change the discomfort and, and make it more comfortable. In my life, I used to move all the time. So, and it got frustrating after the, you know, the 14th or 15th move places. If you're not meant to be happy in one place, you're not going to be happy in one place. And I'm not happy in one place. Mm -hmm. So we got an RV mm -hmm. and I realized that the only way that I was going to still love foundation training and love sharing this work and teaching this work was not going to be flying in planes all the time. It was going to be taking my dogs with me, taking my surfboards with me, having everything I need to live well, my bikes, my slack lines, my rock climbing gear, my, you know, my girlfriend, like we get to travel together now mm -hmm. and I get to teach. I teach my certifications once or so a month, but I also teach workshops. I also teach a lot of free public classes. I give a lot of lectures and I still see patients. You know, I'm licensed in both California and Colorado as a chiropractor. Mm -hmm. I don't have a practice, but I have a lot of friends and those friends always get the care they need as, as you know, mm -hmm. and as anybody. Else. So my life is designed with the understanding that my spontaneity, the way that I win my rat race is the ability to up and go. Hmm. It used to take the form of various relationships. It used to take the form of, you know, moving and getting a different house, living there for a year or eight months and then getting a different house and like always trying these different areas. But in my life, being able to just be on the road, being able to travel and teach with a couple people around me that I love, you know, my best friend in the world, Dustin DeRicky now does the same lifestyle. He's an owner of foundation training with me. Uh, we have a couple other young doctors that are getting into the same thing. And all of a sudden we have this group of people that can travel and be incredibly effective at treating people and caring for people and teaching people about health. I love it because it, it seems like you shifted out of a mindset, which is, huh, something's missing here. It must be over there. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to abandon what I have here and I'm going to go over there. Uh, oh, you know what? That wasn't it. I, oh, you know what? I see that shiny thing over there. I'm going to go over and do that. And instead of that, it's more of what works for me and what am I going to take with me? And I'm going to go explore. I'm going to embrace my desire for variety. I'm going to embrace my desire to explore and turn over new stones. But it doesn't mean that I'm abandoning uh, a previous life. I'm not choosing one over the other. Does that fit? It's not choosing one or the other. It's choosing life. It's choosing yeah. living your life. You right. know, it, it, that's all it is. Yeah. Well, I think that's why it's, a lot of guys get stuck is they think changing lanes means burning the other one, that, that somehow they've got to completely separate themselves from their past and what they know. And it, and it becomes this either or kind of a thing instead of, okay, this is what works for me. How do I do more of the other stuff that, that has me feel more alive? There's, if there's one thing that I have learned the past couple of years, having built a business, having spread an idea, having met a lot of people, and then up and moved to the RV lifestyle, which for me works well because I, I have a business that can travel with me. I have something I need to teach. I have that ability. 
but it doesn't cost that much money. And that's one thing I want people to understand. Like you don't have to be a rich person to have the, to, to take life and to enjoy it yeah. and to do it you, the way you want to. I meet people every single day and myself included. I, I, I don't pay myself more money. I hire more people when we do well as a business. Mm-hmm. We're up to about 15 employees now and we're doing, you know, it's great. But we meet people that are on three, $4,000 a month budgets and they're doing this totally fine. Mm-hmm. They have their RV, they have, they, they get these little camping passes and things and it gives them like what we have. We can go all around the country and we can, there's like a hundred campsites all around the United States that we can use and we have full access to for a good few weeks at a time with this membership pass we have. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I'm doing this. I have, uh, would you have told me this two and a half years ago? I'd have laughed at you like, no way. I, I can't do that. Yeah. But yeah. now that we're into it for a little while, now that I haven't had like a set structural home in a set place for over a year and a half man, I feel, I feel more interesting than I used to feel, if that uh-huh. makes sense. Like I've met a lot more people. I've seen a lot more things. I've, I've hiked a lot more. I've surfed a lot more waves that I never would have surfed. Uh, I got into parts of the ocean that I was terrified of, like Pacific Northwest. Yeah. I've surfed there a good dozen times now. You know, it's like, it's, you do things because they're available. Right. And that's what the lifestyle does. And that's how I beat my own inner brain rat race. Is, well, I, I love what you said is it's, it's a lot more accessible than we think. And, so much accessible, and the, accessible. you know, like there's a guy that, that I've worked with for a while now and, and I've just been digging at him. Like, what's the dream? What's the dream? What's the thing that you got in here that you, that there's just no way you think you can do it. And he laid out this thing. Here's what I'd want to do, but I'm going to, and he had all, and then he was telling me his excuses while he was telling me this stuff, you know, that he wanted to be an attorney. He wants to work on these cases instead of those cases. And he wants to be able to spend part of the year in this part of the country and, and do this and that. I said, like, great. Well, let's just figure out what it costs. Let's figure out what it would cost. And, and he came back the next week and he was blown away. He's like, I think I'm missing something here. It can't be that. I mean, this is doable. That was his first thing. Mm-hmm. Is, I can't believe it because it's actually doable. And I was like, yeah. And his whole thing was, I can't live that way. In his mind, he was thinking until I've got X millions in the, in the bank or I've reached this certain level. I used to think the same way. Yeah, we all do. I think that's what we've been grown up to believe. That's part of the rat race is once I get to the end of this thing, there's the cheese, right? That's where it's, it's going to get good. And he didn't even realize. So he never allowed himself to get curious about what that lifestyle costs. And, and now, I mean, just he was in this place like, this is doable, Trip. I was like, no shit. Like, let's do it. And that's what we're working on now. But it was like, it is it just his mind had blocked himself that, no, nope, I've got to do things a certain way uh, before I can allow myself to even think about what's possible. So I love that you're one of these guys that's out there kind of blowing up the mold for how to be even a chiropractor. I'm going to use that term really generally, but just that, you know, hey, be licensed in a couple states and, and practice fairly there and, and then go teach and do what you do. It's just, it's always been really inspiring for me how you how you do this stuff. I mean, do you ever doubt yourself? Yeah. Do you ever get into places where you kind of like, I can't do this and of course. who am I to do this? Yeah. What, what's that like for you? What are those voices like? It's very real and I often listen. I take myself very seriously if I think I can't do something. I really do. I believe <laughs> yeah. in my, I really do. I believe in caution. I believe, I, I absolutely believe in understanding your limitations in so many avenues of life because that's the only way that you can push through them cautiously, safely, and sustainably. Man, we have some built in mechanisms of self preservation. And, those things are real. And, and the way to recognize opportunities in life is to know yourself and to know what you can do and what you can't do and what you would like to do. And those are really important things. What can I do? I can surf okay. I can help people with some pretty typical pains and I can, I can understand the body as well as most chiropractors can understand the body. And then I can take my experience to that understanding and it really helps me relate to a lot of injuries. 
what can I do in surfing? Can I surf a triple overhead wave? Maybe, but not without somebody extremely experienced with me, showing mm-hmm. me where to paddle out, showing me where, what to avoid, mm-hmm. you know, helping me. Mm-hmm. You have to be around people that are better than you in all these things. When, you, when I go surfing with people that are better surfers than me, I get better right away. My favorite, favorite guy that I surf with who's become a, a friend and somebody I really look up to is Brad Gerlach. Every single time I surf with Brad, I become a better surfer. Hmm. Not because of any other reason than I feel safe to do what we're going to do. Whether it's small or big waves, he tells me something to do, I do it because he's better than me. He hmm. understands. But if I were to be there on my own, just trying to do those things, it would be silly and foolish. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be being cautious. I wouldn't be understanding my own barriers and breaking through them safely. I would be sort of brashly going towards the ends of my boundaries and seeing what happens. And There's a recklessness to it. There's a recklessness to it, which is totally fine in some avenues and totally not fine in other avenues. I cannot be reckless with patience. I never will. Mm-hmm. Never have. Mm-hmm. I can be confident with patience. I can, I can confidently let them know what I believe is the case and what I believe is the problem, but I cannot give them absolutes. Mm-hmm. Understanding your boundaries, understanding your capacity, that's when you get lucky in a lot of ways. You understand your boundaries and you start to recognize opportunities that fit within your wheelhouse, that fit within your spectrum of abilities. And it makes you more cognizant when opportunities present themselves to understand what you can and cannot do. Well, let's go, let's go into that because, you know, you're a chiropractor and you could have just been a chiropractor and you could have just been a chiropractor that, that travels around and does what you do. No, I couldn't. I couldn't. I was in too much pain. Right. Okay. Well, without your pain, that's what I wanted to get into is that there was something in your life that is, that has allowed you or you've given yourself permission to be the teacher that you are. Cause I know other chiropractors and they're not all like you. I know other people that are, that are in the healing profession and they're not all like you. When we talked to, we talked a couple of weeks ago and you brought up the word obsession. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what, what does that mean to you? You can't be obsessed until you find a proper obsession. That's one thing I learned for sure. Like I did not have an OCD personality in any other stage of my life until I, until I was told I needed to have fusion surgery when I was, you know, in my, in my late mid, mid to late twenties. And I was told again by, by another doctor in a practice, not far, a mile down the street in Huntington beach, California. But these were MDs and I was a budding chiropractor. I was like, I probably had two years left of my education as a chiropractor before I could even, you know, try to get a license and try to practice. And I was basically told like, Hey man, not only is your education, you know, subpar to get you better, but you're getting worse. That was more or less, they didn't tell me that, but that's how I responded. That's what it felt like. That's what you heard in your head. That's what I heard. And, uh, that didn't happen in a, in a, in a vacuum that, that happened over quite a long time. And it ruminated and, it, you know, I told you everybody's got their rat race and my rat race is rumination and I'll run that shit as long as I need to. And what were you ruminating? I'm getting worse. I'm getting unhealthy. I'm gonna... I made, my rumination was so simple. I've made a terrible mistake. I'm probably going to end up homeless because I cannot practice as a chiropractor and I'm going to be, you know, $180,000 in debt. I've lost trust in my profession. I've lost trust in my body. I've mm. lost trust in myself. That was my rumination for many years. I went down the wrong path. I went down the wrong path and I went too far down it. Wow. That was my, that was, that was, that was my challenge. Mm-hmm. In, in every iteration that you could imagine of that self-talk presenting itself, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it, it became the most mentally and physically unhealthy time of my life between the ages of about 26 to about 30. And which is interesting because in that time from 27 to 30, I was very actively fixing my spine, very actively and, and moving towards what became foundation training. 
So you were getting better, but you were still, in your mind, there was still this story that I've made a huge mistake with the path that I'm on. My body was getting better, mm-hmm. but I wasn't quite understanding it to the degree that I needed to yet. And my mind was not getting better. It was getting worse because I was running the rat race mentally, which exhausted me. And then I was physically running a different race, trying to beat my pain, trying to beat my perception of my of my own profession at that stage. By the time I became a chiropractor, I, I still had a lot of pain. And I was start, it was such a weird dynamic, man. I was starting to get like a, a decent reputation because uh, I was working with an Olympic water polo team. And I, I just, I was, I've always been good at pain relief with other people. But uh, man, it, it was like this couple, couple few years where my body started getting better and my brain just, just got so stressed out and anxious. And anxiety would be the most pertinent word, you know, just constant anxiety about what I was going to do with my life and how I was going to make any money and how I was going to fulfill what I felt was a really big purpose to become a doctor, Mm -hmm. Uh, not just for myself, but I really thought I was going to be a good one Mm -hmm. when I was young, especially. And I just wanted to do it. I wanted to be there. And then I failed my boards a couple times in 2008 and then again in 2009. So I literally could not become a (laughs) freaking chiropractor. Right. I, I just, it was just failure. It was legit failure for a good few years, 2007, 2008, 2009. Hmm. And then come 2010, I started, I started to understand my injuries and there was nothing that started happening with other people. I, I still had patients and they were getting better. I, I, I can't even call them patients. I still had, at that time clients cause I wasn't licensed. So I couldn't call them patients, mm-hmm. but I still had clients that I got out of pain because I started understanding that strengthening your lower back was the most important thing at that stage in my head for getting out of pain. So the switch that kind of started happening that took me from this crazy anxiety, which I still have sometimes, but not to the degree in any way, shape or form. Um, but it took me from this crazy anxiety to this more peaceful place of understanding was, was logic building within my own head that helped me understand the biomechanics of my injury. It's like all of a sudden around 2009, 2010, there was this switch that made me understand anatomy differently than I ever had. And I started, I, I, this is going to sound so weird, but I started feeling my own movement, my own mm-hmm. muscle contractions. I started feeling when my back was weak mm-hmm. and I started feeling how to protect it. Well, let me ask you something here because I'm just, I'm fascinated by this because it sounds like you went from, okay, tell me, tell me world what I need to do, you know, to be a good doctor and to, and to have a future and, and stability in that way. Tell me what I need to do in order to, you know, fill in the blanks. And then you, your, your awareness turned inward and you just started paying attention to what was working for you. You started actually getting really present with your own process and what had you get stronger and also where you were protecting yourself and perpetuating the, the patterns that had you go and uh, experience pain. Is that right? Certain. It sounds right. You know, it sounds right. It sounds like, um, yeah, I, I had pain. It was very frustrating and it caused me mental and physical distress for several years. In 2000 and by 2010, between 2009 and 2010, there was an occurrence that kept happening. It wasn't an individual one. And every time it kept happening, I, st- I kept getting a clearer picture of what was going on, both physically within me and, and externally in my life. I started to notice that my pain was providing me with a purpose in life and that I had the opportunity completely within my wheelhouse, completely within my spectrum of understanding to understand my pain. Hmm. And I decided to develop the skill, much like I train professional athletes to be better at their craft. I decided to develop my skill of understanding pain management through my own pain. And I worked on that skill tirelessly every single day from 
from the moment I figured that out, honestly, as soon as it started to make sense that I could fix other people with what I knew about my own body, I started to. I started teaching public classes. I started very often for free, uh, actually most often for free because nobody would come otherwise. But then they started coming and paying and I started doing like donations and all that. And and all of a sudden this this anxiety of what am I going to do became an anxiety of how am I going to do it? And that was a gigantic switch in my life. Yeah, that's got to be big because that's like, who am I to to do this work? Who am I to, you know, this doesn't fit with what we're being taught or what I've been taught. This is something that's me. This is something that's built on my own experience. Um, that can be rejected. This can be, you know, made wrong or I can be criticized. Um, that took some balls to step into that. Yeah, <laughs> it did. Uh, I'm trying to remember what it was like to like, I'm trying to remember if I ever felt all that scared to put my idea out there. Cause I really, by the time I started, I mean, by the time my first book came out, you know, I, I had never put anything out publicly when my first uh, foundation book came out. That was May. It was May, mid-May 2011. By the time I put that book out, I had had several thousand people in a short time in 2009 to 2011 tell me how much posterior chain recruitment as I taught it at that stage helped them contend with the physical ailments of their lives. And that was a satisfaction that I had never felt before. And it drove my sense of purpose to obsession. This shit's working, basically. You're getting the message that this is working. Yeah. It's working. And not only is it working, but the people that keep doing it longer are the ones that are getting most excited about it. And that sense of purpose has made me a new man. There's yeah. no way to, there's no other way to put it. It has, it has changed my cellular makeup to that of somebody that is supposed to teach. Yeah. Supposed, supposed to feel proud of what I do. And instead of questioning myself on what I should be doing, I simply try to become the best at what I do, which is teach people how to fix themselves. Because damn it, you need to fix yourself in life. Yeah. Well, I just, I just come back to the, I'm running away from my pain. I'm fearful of my future and where this has gone. I've, I've made this, this decision and I've, I've made the wrong decision into your pain becoming the doorway you finding your own voice, you finding your own path, creating your own path, confronting the fear of who am I to create my own path? Who am I to be somebody that teaches this stuff? Um, doing it anyway, and then finding your a real sense of purpose, a real sense of meaning by staying at it. It wasn't just, oh, I, I had this idea and it was uh, what could have been and what might have happened. You stayed with it persevered and now almost a decade in you, you know it's it's still gathering steam and getting bigger and bigger yeah it's been nine years since i was told to get surgery in 2007 and i wasn't told to get a herniation fixed i was told to get a fusion surgery on my lower spine and, and there is a in the new book there i i introduce a couple of my students who are unique one of them is a guy named joseph paul who is a rehabilitative physical therapist uh, in arkansas and he rehabilitates spinal fusions. He is a spinal fusion rehabilitation specialist. That's a very unique thing to be. And it makes you never want to get a spinal fusion. And then he was told that in order to fix his spondylolisthesis at 60 years old, he would need a 360 degree spinal fusion. Wow. He found foundation training about two years ago, maybe three years ago now. Within the first six months, he simply said, I, I noticed changes. I was able to control changes. After that six months, he was able to cancel his surgery. He then became a certified foundation training instructor. 
He has not gotten surgery and he uses foundation training now to prevent people from having to get the same surgery that he used to rehabilitate. Sometimes he still has to. Sometimes people are too far gone. No question about it. Yeah. But most often, as he says in the book, there is zero negative effect to using this work. He's like, they have only experienced positive results and they have helped people not undergo so many surgeries as a result. Yeah. Yeah. And if I would have been told that something like foundation training existed nine years ago, it would have changed my life forever just as much as coming up with it has. So I recognize how impactful injuries can be in somebody's life. I was at my worst, the worst I've ever been, mentally, physically, all of that because of my back pain. Yeah, I think that's what we don't see is just how when we when our bodies are in this disarray, we don't get to live this purposeful life. We don't get to align our values with the work we want to do in the world. All the lifestyle shit we talked about just a few minutes ago is out the window because we're in pain. It's a powerful thing that people can't recognize and relate to until they've been in it. And that's good. I don't want people to relate to it. I don't want people to ever feel that pain. I don't want people to ever feel debilitated in the human body they've been given. Mm-hmm. It's not supposed to feel debilitated. It's supposed to feel pretty strong. It's supposed to feel aches. It's supposed to feel occasional agonies, but it's not supposed to be debilitated. And I see so many people lose interest in life dramatically, you know, becoming apathetic to their existence as a result of not being able to feel enough, feel well enough to enjoy it and participate in it fully. And if there's one, that's my, that's my little, what has become, I guess, my, my grand purpose with foundation training. It's not a back pain recipe, even though it does help that a lot. This is a life style of paying attention to your body so that it can serve you and that you can serve it through the rest of your life into old age for as long as possible. Just like Dean Potter, just like Chris Lake, just like me, just like you, just like, you know, a a girl surfer like Lakey Peterson or a brilliant guy that practically designed Google. He was the chief engineer of Google, Wayne Rosing. All of these people have been my clients for, for a long time. They've all been doing foundation training for a long time now, many years, and their success is tremendous. Hmm. And my success doesn't reflect it financially, but I don't really care. My business success, my reputation, the credibility of my instructors and myself reflects that. And that's the most, that, what a reward, man. Yeah. You inspire me, brother. I, I appreciate you doing this work. I, I, I follow you closely. I love that I get to, to come and hang out and watch you do this stuff. I appreciate how you've had an impact on my life. Um, appreciate that. Dr. Eric Goodman, the new book, True to Form, How to Use Foundation Training for Sustained Pain Relief in Everyday Fitness, but it goes much deeper than that. I love how you connect this back to, to what we're here to, on this planet to do. So I just assume everybody's going to read the book because Chris Hemsworth did the forward. That's my, <laughs> like, I already told Chris, I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get about 10, 20,000 people to buy the book. You're going to get the others. <laughs> like, everybody else is you. <laughs> I think you need to pull out a poster of him, but you know, that if you want more, yeah, right? I think you're going to have to, you got to go a little deeper with it for that. No, so. I do trip. I, I appreciate it so much. I love talking with you in a, in a friendly capacity. I, I love all you've, you've helped me tremendously in, in a variety of ways as well. It's not easy um, always being a person that is bringing something unique to the world. The world can be both very loving and very mean, and, and it can mess with somebody's mentality. And you've always been there for me when I, when I feel at the edge. So thank you kindly for that. If these interviews are helping you, then please visit The New Man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.